We're in chapter 5. I'm going to pick up with uh, verses, verse 15 and read through verse 17 today. As I read, remember this is the word of God. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again your blessing upon our time together in your word. We take this time seriously because it is serious. This is when we grapple with the truths of your holy, inerrant, and inspired word. And we pray that today we would do so carefully, we do so prayerfully, we do so thoughtfully. We pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher today, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word, our ears to hear its message. But above all, we, I pray that you'd open our hearts to be able to receive its truth and to apply it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's the wisest person you've ever known? As you think back over your life and you peruse the, the many people with whom you've crossed paths, who stands out in your life as being wise? And once you've identified that person, what is it about that individual that makes you consider them to be a wise person? What is it about that person that causes them to be wise in your estimation? For me, it was my grandfather on my mother's side of the family, my Grandfather Turk, Joseph Lee Turk. Now, I'm sure that part of it is because he just looked the part. He was tall, broad-shouldered, white-haired, just seemed to know something about everything. The kind of person that you just sensed that if you had a problem, you'd go to him and he could help you. What is it that makes a wise person wise. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Even in our passage you read this morning, our unison reading of Scripture, did you catch it? How much just those 12 verses said about a wise person and a foolish person. And you see, that's one of the basic distinctions the Bible makes between a believer and an unbeliever. The Bible says that a believer is wise, but an unbeliever is a fool. Look at a couple of verses with me if you have your Bibles. You'll turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. It's a very clear distinction that the Bible makes. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, wisdom is closely tied to a fear of the Lord, to a knowledge of Him. 
The fear of the Lord is the very beginning, it says, of wisdom. You can't have wisdom without a relationship with God. And if you go to Psalm chapter 14, for the contrast. In verse 1, first part of verse 1, the Bible says this, The fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so you see, from the biblical perspective, wisdom begins with the fear of God. Foolishness is described as someone who rejects God, who says that there is no God. The book of Proverbs also says that fools despise wisdom. Now, I begin that way this morning because our text deals with that very subject. Our text focuses upon this whole matter of biblical wisdom. Now, again, just to keep us in our context of where we are in Ephesians chapter 5, really going back all the way, all the way to the start of chapter 4. Paul is talking about the difference that your faith, my faith, our faith in Christ is to make in our lives. And again, as I've said over and over through this section, is the, the, the gospel is life-changing. Saving faith is not just a life insurance policy from hell. It is a transformation of who we are. It makes us into new creatures in Christ. And so it begs the question that if, it, if there is no change, if we see no difference, then we have to ask us the serious question if there is real faith, because real saving faith always makes a real difference in our lives. And, and what Paul has been doing in chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5 is just enumerating many of those differences that salvation brings about in the life of a believer. The difference that, that faith in Christ makes in us. And that's what we have again this morning. Another difference that saving faith makes in your life and in mine. And that difference is that makes us wise people. It brings us into the path of wisdom. Now we often equate wisdom with age. Don't we, Dottie? If that's true, Dottie's the wisest person among us here this morning. And to some degree, that's true, isn't it? But that's not completely true. Because wisdom comes, as we've seen, from fearing the Lord and trusting in Him. And in our text, I believe Paul gives us three indications by which we can determine if indeed we are living in wisdom or if we're being wise people. Three ways. The first way is found in verse 15. First way you can know that you're living as a wise person is simply by looking at your life. Looking at your conduct. Looking at your pattern, your behavior. There's a clear admonition given to us in verse 15. It says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, we've seen before, when the Bible talks about your walk, it's talking about your life. When the Bible talks about your walking, it's talking about your living, your behavior, your conduct. And notice the text says here that we're to be careful about it. At least in my text, the translation uses the word careful. Be careful 
how you walk. Today, you know, we talk a lot about being careful. It brings to my mind today of, of how we approach a major intersection on a busy highway. You don't just barge through it, but you approach it with some care. My, my wife helps me do that. <laughs> Slow down. Coming to an intersection. But we, we go through an intersection, don't we, with some care and caution. Looking to see if there's any danger on either side of us. And we use that phrase a lot. We, we tell people when we're, they're leaving us, we, now be careful. Be careful. You parents, I'm sure, say that to your children when they get in the car. Be careful. And what you mean by that is make sure you don't do anything to cause harm to yourself or to anyone else. And that's what Paul means here. As you live your life, you're to be careful. Careful to walk or to live in the way that God prescribes for you to live. Now this passage, again, is built on what we just looked at over the last several weeks about how we are the light of Christ and how we're to let our light shine in the darkness of the world. We've spent several weeks talking about this, this whole contrast that the Bible gives us between the light and the darkness. Now, as believers, we are those who shine the light of Christ in the darkness of sin all around us. And in the context, that's what Paul is saying here. One more way that you have by which you can shine the light of Christ is by living a life of wisdom around those that you come in contact with every day. Look at the text again. It says, verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. There's the contrast. Don't live as an unwise person, and the biblical definition of one who is not wise is a fool. Don't live like a fool, but live like a wise person. What does a wise person do? Well, we've already seen. A wise person fears the Lord. A wise person trusts the Lord. A, a, a wise person turns away from self and to God. You know, the, the Bible we saw in Psalm 14 says, A fool says there is no God. And so a wise person lives constantly with a sense of an awareness of the presence of God in his life. A wise person is continually asking himself, What is it that God would have me to do? How is it that God would have me to live? Well, where do we get that? How does a wise person find the answer to those questions? That's simple for us, isn't it? We, we figure it out because by knowing God's Word. Proverbs chapter 2 tells us that the Lord gives wisdom. And we saw, we saw that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The, the book of Proverbs also says the Lord gives wisdom. And so the, the conclusion is that you can't have wisdom. You can't really be a wise person. Oh, you might be worldly wise. But you can't be godly wise without getting that wisdom from God. And we find that wisdom in the pages of his book. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 
chapter 3. I'll read verses 14 and 15. This is Paul writing to Timothy. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings as Scripture. You've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It is the sacred writings, it's Scripture, that gives us wisdom. Here, specifically, it's the wisdom to turn to Christ for salvation. Now, when we turn to 2 Timothy 3, we normally look at verses 16 and 17, where it talks, Paul talks about inspiration of Scripture and the profitability of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Most of you could probably quote the very beginning of 2 Timothy 3.16. We do that sometimes, I think, to the exclusion of what is so important found in verse 15. And that is, it is the sacred writings. It is Scripture that gives us wisdom. This kind of wisdom is an acquired trait. We aren't born with it. We don't get it by osmosis. We grow in it. It's a part of spiritual maturity, this whole matter of growing in wisdom. It's interesting that, uh, you know, Luke tells us very little is said about Jesus' childhood. Remember what Luke said in Luke 2.52? That Jesus continued to grow in what? Grow in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we grow and we mature in wisdom. Now, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about wisdom. Uh, We spend a whole series on uh, Wednesday nights talking about various aspects of wisdom. Uh, the, The Bible says that a wise person is humble. A wise person stays busy, observes the ant, and does like the ant does. A wise person restrains his lips, is careful about what he says. A wise child talks about your children. A wise child heeds what his parents say, obeys his parents' instructions. A wise person listens to counsel, takes advice. A wise person is strong in the face of adversity. A wise person turns away from anger. Those are just some very practical ways the Bible gives us to display wisdom. When Paul tells us in our text, Therefore be careful that you walk not as unwise men, but as wise. That's what it means very practical ways in which you display what it is to be a wise person. Now, if you're like me, some of you probably struggle there. Oh, to be like my grandfather Turk. Oh, to be someone that people saw to be a wise person. 
How often I struggle. I'm sure many times perhaps you struggle there too. Really living with a complete sense of the presence of God. Living in the fear of God. Living trusting in God. Living a wise life. If you are me, well, like me and you lack it sometimes, then ask God for it because He promises to give it. You know, James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men, not sparingly, but generously and without reproach. So if you are struggling there in your life, if when I read through that list of characteristics that describe a, a wise person, humility, careful with your words, turning away from anger, listening to wise counsel. If you're struggling in any of those areas, then ask God. And He will give you the wisdom that you need. He promises to do so. So that's the first kind of distinguishing mark of a wise person. Just we live differently from those who do not know Christ. We live in a, in a wise way. The second way given here by which you know if you're a wise person is by, is by making the most of your time. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You know, time is one of your most precious commodities. It's absolutely irreplaceable. Once a moment is passed, it cannot be reclaimed. Once a day is lived, it can't be relived again. The days of our lives really are much like the, the sands of time, slipping through an hourglass. The only problem is we can't see how much sand is there. And not one of us knows how much there is left that dropped through the hourglass. Might sound a bit morbid, but it's true. Every day you live brings you one day closer to the day of your death. That is one day less that you have to live on this earth. You know, modern technology can do some amazing things. In fact, it can do some things that are contrary to nature. These days, if you're watching a live show on TV, you can press the pause button, go do something, come back, turn it back on, it picks up right where it left off. It's an amazing thing. But see, life doesn't have a pause button. We can't stop the sand from proceeding through the hourglass. We can't stop the days from marching on. They, they're going to march on anyway. And therefore the Bible says that because time is so precious that we're to make the most of it. That gets kind of personal, doesn't it? If you're like me, you hate to count up all the hours that you've wasted 
in your life. All the time you've just frittered away in things that don't matter. Worrying over things that you can't control. Stewing and harboring resentment over things that you should have let go. Staring out the window. Being glued to the TV. Or to your computer. Or to your Facebook page. Now, that does not mean you always have to be busy doing something. Or that you can't have any downtime. Or that you can't in any way do something just for the pleasure of it. Whether it's a ball game, which I enjoy. A play or a concert that many of you enjoy. A movie that you want to see. Just chilling out at the the beach or by the pool, which is always fun. There's no problem with that. You see, engaging in times of pleasure or recreation does not mean that you're not making the most of your time. Making the most of your time means that your life is productive. That you're living your life to please and to obey God. That your primary desire in your life as you live it, whether you are at work or at play, whether you're busy accomplishing something or you're in downtime recreating, no matter what it is that you're doing, you're doing it for the glory of God. That's what Paul says. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. I do believe the Bible tells us that we have a set number of days to live upon this earth. And that number is set by God. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. You know, Job was speaking to God about man. And he said this, His days are determined. The number of his months is with you. You know, Hebrews 9 tells us it's appointed, it's appointed unto man to die once. Each one of us has a divine appointment with death. Each one of us will face it. You know, there are a lot of things I can say with certainty behind the pulpit, but one of the things I've always said with absolute certainty is one day you're going to die. One day I'm going to die. That's why I, I, I summarize my ministry in a very general term. I told you this before by saying this. My job is twofold. It's to teach you how to live. It's to prepare you to die. If I fail on either one of those, I failed. My job is to teach you how to live as a wise person. Trusting in Christ, fearing God, growing in Him, living your life for Him. And to prepare you for that moment when you close your eyes in death... And open them to see the face of your Savior. Each one of us has a divine appointment with death. That makes every day precious, doesn't it? 
Some of you this afternoon probably need to go home and, and ask God to forgive you. To confess a failure. To live your life for His glory. To, to, for having used your precious time in ways that did not honor and glorify Him. You know, some translations, maybe yours uses the phrase here in verse 16, of redeeming the time, buying it back, reclaiming it. Or some texts read, making the most of every opportunity. That's what it means, we are to redeem the time by using every opportunity God gives us to serve and to glorify Him, making the most of our time. And the, and the text goes on, to say why that's so important is because the day is evil. We live in a world that, that, that I've said before many times tries to press us into its mold. But we live in a world that tries its best to, to draw us away from Christ. To, to keep us from doing exactly what Paul tells us to do here. To keep us from, from making the most of our time. Using our time unwisely. Not using it for obedience but for disobedience and therefore we're to be careful we live in a, an evil day and in the midst of that we're to make the most make the most of the time God gives us then there's a third way given here in the text by which you know if you are living as a wise person it's found in verse 7 verse 16 verse 17 where it says so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's by knowing, understanding, and living in the will of God. Now again, we have this contrast here, right here in verse 17, where he says, don't be foolish, but understand God's will. Again, it's the fool who says there is no God. I don't live for God. I reject God. I'm not concerned about how God wants me to live. It's the wise person who says, I trust God, I believe God, I know God I want to know what God wants me to do I want to live in God's will there are many Christians who get all hung up the whole idea of the will of God Act as though God's will is some kind of mysterious concept that is hidden away somewhere in some dark place and we're supposed to hunt for it like we'd hunt for a buried treasure. They're always in this diligent pursuit of trying to find God's will for my life. What is it God wants me to do? But there really is nothing mysterious about it, folks. God reveals us His will in his word now I know there aren't instructions in here about what you're supposed to have for lunch today or what you're supposed to do this afternoon or where you're supposed to go tomorrow on the holiday I understand but folks God's will is found in this book I want to take you to one particular verse did you know that the Bible says this is the will of God for you? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And some of you just turn in there as fast as you can saying, I want to know what God's will is. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 3 says this. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. What is it? It is your sanctification. Look, folks, if you want to know what God's will for you is, that's it. God's will for you as His child is to pursue holiness, to pursue the sanctification with which no one will see the Lord, to do your best to be what He has called you to be and what He desires for you to be. Now, the first step in knowing that, again, is reading His book and knowing what He desires from you in your life. I can promise you this that if that is your greatest goal if sanctification is your deepest desire if growing in holiness is what you want more than anything else you don't have to worry about knowing God's will he will show you what his will is through your personal study of his word through the teaching and preaching of his word to the wise counsel of other people, by your simply walking in the path of obedience, God will show you what it is He desires for you to do. You know, the psalmist says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, some people have gone to that like going to the Christmas tree and finding all kinds of presents and saying, look, if I just delight myself in God, He'll give me whatever I want. That's not what the text means. What it means is if you delight yourself in God, then your desires will match His desires. If indeed you delight yourself in the Lord, what you want will be what He wants. You see, this whole matter of the will of God is not just trying to find what it is God wants me to do, but how do I live in obedience to Him to please Him every day so He can guide me in in the path that He wants me to go. On the front of your bulletin, I put these words from Proverbs chapter 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and what? He will make your paths straight or He will direct your paths. What the Bible says. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths or He will make your paths straight. I've already been called simplistic once this week. We're telling people they ought to just do what the Word of God says. I was in a meeting. I said, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's Word says to do. Just do it. 
And I was told, that's simplistic. That's too simple. That was an elder of the PCA that told me that. Look, I may be simplistic. But I know what the Bible says. If you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. He'll guide you into what he wants you to do. That's what the Bible says. So my encouragement to you today is to believe it. To trust it. Don't, don't kind of see God's will off to the side like it's something that you just have to discover. But live your life fearing God, acknowledging Him, trusting Him, living for Him, and believe that day by day He will direct and guide your path. I said before that living life is kind of like living with, in front of a curtain. And then the curtain is the will of God. And every day, God moves that curtain back just a little bit so we can see what's behind it. Now, I'm, look, God's gracious, isn't he? Not, not to pull it back six months so we don't have to fret over what's going to happen four months from today. That's why Jesus said, you know, look, you focus on today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. God's got tomorrow. Right? God's got tomorrow. It's behind the curtain. Today is what God has given to us. That's why we're to focus upon today. Live your life in obedience to God today. And trust Him to show you what He wants you to do tomorrow. ask you at the start of my message who's the wisest person you've ever met I'll tell you the wisest person who ever lived was Jesus Christ again Luke says he grew in wisdom Jesus was wise but you know I've been reflecting this week upon this text and upon Jesus and I've realized you know what Jesus did you know part of, part of what made Jesus such a wise person he lived exactly the way Paul tells us to live here Jesus in his own life was careful careful about how he walked and lived so careful, in fact, that he lived without sin in perfect obedience to his Father's law. Jesus lived making the most of his time, seizing every opportunity to do his Father's bidding. And Jesus sought to do his father's will. In fact, over and over Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so, to live in wisdom, be like Jesus. Follow our text. Be careful. Be careful how you live. Make the most of every moment God gives to you. 
and seek to live your life every day in conformity to His will. And He will guide you in the way you should go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. and We, we believe it. We trust it. We want to live by it. And I pray you help us do that today. I thank you for this clear admonition to, to be wise people. And help us as a body of believers and as individual believers to do that today and all the days of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.